Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it is broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival. The 8th annual New York City premiere will be October 2023, along with the 5th annual New York Cat Film Festival before traveling the country, supporting local animal welfare groups. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at TracyHotchnerPets.com. I would not be able to bring you this show without the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their kitties. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. This show would not be possible without the longtime support from Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food. Other pet food companies may have copied them over time, but Waruva remains privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards, not investors who focus on profits. I found another Project Street Vet Vet, and I could not wait to meet Dr. Nicole Weinstein. She has her own clinic in Montclair, California, and I have no idea how she has time to also go out on the street and tend to the pets of the homeless. But I just want to say that in a in a business, the veterinary business, when you own a clinic, it's sort of a 24-hour-a-day job. So this woman, to me, is already heroic that she found this extra time, which didn't exist. Dr. Nicole, welcome to the show, and congratulations on following what surely must have been your own journey, dream, idea of tending to the pets of people who are unhoused. What what about the homeless and their pets struck you? Do you in Montclair, California, do you have a homeless population or was it just knowing that this is a problem in our country? Oh, well, it's such an honor to be on your show. I've heard a lot about you great things and um, Thank you. I'm very honored to be a guest. Um, so the I think that for me, it's not really... Uh, that there is a population in my area. It is that I have always practiced veterinary medicine with a spirit of service, which is my original purpose in becoming a veterinarian to help people and their pets and to nurture that human-animal bond. And I think that people um, living on the streets with pets have a different perspective and sometimes a much stronger bond with their Mm -hmm. pets. And that that speaks to my heart a lot. 
That's it to me too, Nicole. And I've had a number of films in the Dog Film Festival about the homeless and their pets in many different cultures and many different continents even. And it always makes me think, wow, we are so privileged and we're all about, oh, my dog is my best friend or my kitty's my best pal. But our lives don't depend on it. Our emotional life is not dependent on this creature who may be our only lifeline to our own humanity. And I've just been always struck by it. Why is it that you and I and a handful of other people see the, the dignity and yet the undignified way in which these people are living their lives with their pets? When did that strike you? I mean, when were you most first aware of it? That's a good question. I think it was, I was volunteering just as a general volunteer for an event in Skid Row, which is where in Los Angeles, the main homeless population is concentrated. And there's an event put on by uh, an organization called the Wayfair Foundation called the Skid Row Carnival of Love. I was a volunteer there for a year or two because I was aware of it and I was able to see that there they were able to fulfill so many needs uh, down there as simple as getting a haircut or, you know, connecting somebody with uh, mental health um, care, dental care, medical care. It's an incredible event. And at one point I thought, you know, wouldn't it be amazing if we could bring our veterinary team down here and offer veterinary services? Because that is something that you know, there is a need for down there. I noticed that a lot of people had animals. They had companion animals and they had their companion animal in many cases was their only friend. Yes. Some of them had mental health issues. They had things that made them less socially desirable. Um, but their pet was never, would never judge them. Their pet always wanted to be with them. Their pet was always happy to be with them. And they, their pet was their only sense of companionship so when I would ask them what their pet meant to them they could not find words that tears would come out of their eyes and what they would do for their pet they would not do for themselves but Mm -hmm. they would do anything for their pet it was really humbling and eventually we did get veterinary services in there two or three years in a row I brought a team in I uh, partnered with western veterinary school in Pomona and, and I brought vet students and no we kidding. just had an incredible time yeah that's very cool yeah now is it that is where so is that where cool. you went so is that fun. where you went to vet school no I didn't I actually went to vet school in a foreign country in the Philippines oh, a very wow. non-traditional way of getting a vet degree <laughs> yeah us. yes <clears throat> yeah wow. so but my goal in being a vet was service. So that is the reason I went to vet school in the Philippines, which does tie, you know, anywhere that I can take veterinary medicine and turn it into service to humanity is where my, where I really feel the passion. I really feel the excitement and I don't feel tired, even though at the end of the day, you're really tired. But Mm -hmm. when you get out there and you're fulfilling what you feel to be your purpose and your passion, and you're showing love to people who often are not even seen. They're almost invisible. For sure. It's just an incredible, exhilarating feeling. You don't feel tired at the time. It's amazing. I'm reminded of a friend 
in Italy who would go for two months at a time to volunteer with Mother Teresa in India, which was mostly cleaning the beds and the bodies of people who were dying. And she wasn't particularly religious, my friend, but she was Lindell Passerini. She was spiritual in a kind of generalized way. And you're talking this way reminded me of her doing that at the time. I thought, really, this feels good to you? This, this doesn't like break your heart and freak you out. And isn't it physically so difficult for you? You know, because they were sleeping and eating and, you know, a bowl of rice, kind of that was it. It really made her feel great. She really wanted to do it. She felt lucky to have that opportunity. And it seems like you had this desire and you were fulfilling it, which is pretty amazing. Because That's what it feels like. Yeah, it's kind of amazing to hear about because it's very expensive to go to vet school and you have to be really smart and work really hard. And then you have to get, if you come from the Philippines or other countries, you have to get accredited in the U.S., and you know, be accepted as a as a veterinary professional here, and then start your own clinic. Those are a lot of challenges and burdens that are very different from kind of the spiritual aspect. When you go back to the clinic after a day on the streets, do you feel do you have a different attitude towards your everyday clients and patients who come in with an ear infection or a somewhat neurotic or irritating owner, which you probably aren't going to say, but we all know that we owners can be irritating and neurotic. Does it, mm-hmm. does it seem trivial to you and like you're kind of wasting your time when the other is so fulfilling? Um, the, the short answer is definitely not. I don't see them differently than I see people that are unhoused. I want to serve everybody that comes into my clinic. I spend a lot of time talking with them. I care about them on a a deeper level, um, it doesn't matter if they're, you know, people with money or people without money, everybody becomes vulnerable when their companion and their pet and their companion is not well, everybody, it doesn't matter. I've had surgeons calling me and crying to me and, you know, just helpless, just completely helpless. I have famous, you know, producers that are at my, you know, that they're so vulnerable with me because their vet didn't explain to them very well what was going on. I get FaceTime calls from celebrities when their pet has an emergency and they are frantic. But, you know, really, in genuinely, I really care about everybody that walks in the door. And I, I embody or I try to embody the spirit of service to everybody that comes in that, you know, I want to alleviate their stress. I want to help them when I see their face drop, when they know how much something's going to cost, my heart drops too. It's definitely not where I don't separate my service in my clinic from service with people that are unhoused. And I think it's really important that we don't, we don't do that. It's not a, oh, on Sundays, I believe in God and the rest of the week, I'm just going to do my own thing. Right. Well, it was, you know, you make me feel like crying because I'm making a judgy comment and question about the more well-off people that drive up to your clinic in their nice car and wearing fancy shoes and a handbag, if it's a female, or I guess nowadays it could be any gender, <laughs> um, and because we have to be like really open-minded. And I'm yeah. acting like, oh, well, they're annoying, right? And they're they're just so privileged. 
what I'm hearing is that just because I can be open-hearted towards the homeless <clears throat> and feel very strongly about them, and, and Downtown Dog Rescue was the actual beneficiary of the first dog film festival in Los Angeles, and the work she's been doing mm-hmm. for years is meant a great deal to me. And so, oh, wow, aren't I great? I can care about the the homeless on the streets, period, and then particularly those with animals. But I can't be so nice and kind and thoughtful about the lucky people that are on the other side of the coin. So I really like the fact that you don't save that kindness and lack of judgment for those who are downtrodden. You you extend it to everybody. Yeah, I've worked with Downtown Dog Rescue also, um, and I've done the service in Watts as well um, with Dr. Peter Weinstein and the Southern California Vet Med Association, and they do incredible work as well. And it's really amazing because down there they really don't have a vet clinic, which is ridiculous, but they don't. And so, you know, they bring in incredible services to the area and, you know, they take great care of their pets as well in the inner city where they don't have services, but their pets are in really great condition, generally speaking. Because of people like you, Nicole. I mean, because somebody comes on their own time with their own vehicle, with their own equipment and supplies and provides it. I mean, there's also spay, neuter, you know, mobile clinics that come, but it's the little stuff that matters, right? Fleas and, and other parasites internal as well as external. If, if you can't, if you don't have someone helping you deal with that, then you have a dog who looks terrible, feels terrible, and maybe gets really ill. When did you become a project street vet? Because my understanding is that Fetch by (laughs) Dodo has underwritten the work of those of you that wave that flag. Is that right? Yes. Um, I'm really extremely honored and excited. I'm actually on the board of Project Street Vet, wow. which is a huge, huge honor for me. I, it's funny because I saw Dr. Kwan in the news and I saw what he was doing and it was me. My heart was saying, well, I do that too. I want right. to connect with him. And I'm a big networker, so I sent him some messages. I connected with him on LinkedIn. We also go way back because one of my first jobs as a vet, he happened to be the medical director of that hospital. No kidding. And I, yeah, I don't remember meeting him. I just remember that his name was on the hospital. And I remembered that name when I connected with him for Project Street Vet. At the time, he was in Europe and he was very busy and he. I don't think he had gotten to the point where he was ready to expand out of, you know, his own little circle. Yes. Um, But then it was probably several years later that he reached out his, you know, brother, I think it was somebody from the organization reached out to me and invited me to do a video Zoom to talk about potentially expanding services to the L.A. area because he's based in San Diego. Right. And I was so excited. I went out on a couple of... uh, of trips with them, you know, to serve in Inglewood was the first one. And it was an encampment on a cul-de-sac. Wow. And uh, basically people lived on the cul-de-sac and had just set up, you know, their homes there. And I just loved the spirit that Project Street Vet embodies because it's not like what we did. For example, Wayfarer, when we did the Skid Row Carnival of Love, we set up a booth. And it was kind of like a clinic where people waited in line and, you know, it was more of a quick, quick, get them in, get them out, get them taken care of. What we do with Project Street Vet is something that really captures 
the spirit of service because we don't we spe- take our time we hang out with people nice. we dance with people nice. we sit with on, them on the floor we talk to them about we really get into what that pet really means to them and um it is just a different experience which i think is the the real wow factor. oops i think i lost you sorry nicole you were saying about hanging out with these people dancing with them and and being down on on their level and and not having it be a, a quick transaction. I think it's really fantastic that you are on the board of Project Street Vet, and I hope that anyone listening will, if you are a vet or a vet student, you'll reach out, right? I mean, that's what you want, isn't it? To increase the number of people, the number of veterinary people, and of course, vet techs and vet assistants are equally welcome, who have this feeling, this mission of service to the less fortunate and their beloved animals. I think that's really what you're going for, isn't it? Well, it is. We're not looking for massive numbers. I think it's the spirit that we want to amplify. With Project Street Vet, my my impression is, is that it's really connecting with people and helping them be seen. Yes. You know, seeing them, seeing and helping them with their, their pets, which are their lifeline most of the time. I, I did meet one example is uh, I met one lady who told me that her dog was three years old. And I said, is this your best friend? And she said, this dog saved my life, this little Chewini. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, so how does a Chewini save your life? Like, do they put on a big cape and fly and, right. and you know, hit somebody that's trying to hurt you? And I'm you know, and so I said, no, how did, how did this dog save your life? She said, well, when he was a puppy, he, I found him in a dumpster and he had his throat cut. <gasps> and she said, I, I know, I don't know how that people do that. And she said, I begged God. And I said, if you save this puppy, I will never drink or do drugs. Oh again. my goodness. And she was a major drug addict. (laughs) And then the puppy survived. And she said, Yeah, and I don't drink and I don't do drugs. Because if I do, something will happen to him. And he's her he's her only friend. Oh, Nicole, that's such a lovely story. That sort of embodies everything. We've we've used up our time and used it up with such pleasure on my part. I think what you're doing is incredible. Who you are is amazing. And uh, just keep on keeping on. You, you're the one out there in the, in the trenches doing the work that all of us should be doing spiritually or emotionally. So thank you for that and for being a guiding light, even to those of us sitting on the sidelines. We're cheering for you, okay? Thank you for illuminating the type of people that we want to see more of in the world. I love your work as well. Thanks so much, Tracy. Thanks for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. This show is supported by Wonderside, a company founded and run by a woman entrepreneur who wanted to find an effective natural way to keep fleas, ticks, and other pests away from her pets and home instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes plant-powered products to keep parasites at bay without dousing your pets and property with ingredients that are harmful to them and the planet. The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human-edible, ethically-sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. 
They founded and run their own company and have been doing that for 14 years and answer only to their own high standards without interference from venture capital investors. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, also privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative Dog Chew No Hide and the hybrid dog food Wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky blue Weimarano Maisie will eat.